Okay, good morning. We'll have some, uh, some people drifting back in in a minute. Um, but just by way of an introduction, this is a message that God put on my heart back in uh, around July last year. We were holidaying in Scotland and there were quite a few evenings when I was sort of sitting up with back pain at the time. Uh, and one particular night, I felt the Lord really just stir me to grab my notebook and pen and start making some notes. And I, I felt the Lord give me a word. And interestingly, um, yeah, I, I didn't know when I might be able to sort of share this word, but it was a word about coming out of a winter season. And of course, today is the first day of spring. So it just has kind of slotted in perfectly. But I felt God say to me um, that as we emerge from this winter season, as we come out of the pandemic, and we know that that's just taken a different form at this, at this time, but we're in a different place to where we were, I, feel that, I felt that God was saying to me that as we emerge from the winter season of the pandemic, we as a people of God would need to be reminded of our purpose and that each one of us should embrace a God-given personal vision. Now, I don't know about you, but in the pandemic, I kind of got rid of my diary, my calendar. I didn't write anything on them because whenever I tried to write anything on them, everything changed, didn't it? So the restrictions changed. You know, you try and plan a birthday party in some form and that wasn't going to happen. And anniversaries fell by the wayside and all the other things that we might celebrate um, as we go uh, through our normal year, as it were. So I almost felt like I wanted a bit of a refund. I felt a bit cheated um, that I had this calendar in this diary because I'm a planner and I, I couldn't put anything on it. Um, but, uh, yeah, life was pretty impossible, wasn't it, at times? And we had to find new ways of connecting and meeting and encouraging and being together, in inverted commas, um, because life was pretty impossible. But, of course, the most important thing was that we were still in connection with God. And whatever went on, there was always still that opportunity to meet with him, to be with him, to fellowship with him, to hear his word each and every day for our lives. And in case you didn't get the memo about church, um, it was never about church and what we make it. It was all about him, wasn't it? So I just want to uh, start by reading Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13. And I've titled this message, Finding and Following God's Vision for Our Lives. And I wanted to look at the church corporately, but then to look at us individually. And perhaps challenge you this morning as to where you may be up to individually and how God may be able to help you through and help you focus or re-envision you or refresh you or release you in order to be able to move into this new season that we have ahead of us. So Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13. Many of you will know this first verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In this season, we are to renew our minds, refocus, realign ourselves, and repurpose in this new season. We're to rise up 
Take what's in our hands and some humbly serve our living God, laying down our agendas, get our hearts right and in line with him. Guard our attitude and motivation, ensuring that we act out of our received God-given love and to go into the world and make disciples. But what's the consequence of us not having a personal vision? Well, again, a, a verse that most of you will know is Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But let me just read that in another couple of versions for you, versions of the Bible. So the New Living Translation says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. And in the NIV, it says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. So often we hear Jeremiah uh, 29 verse 11 sort of read as a feel-good you know, feel verse. So we'll say it over our kids, oh, God's got a purpose for you, God's got a plan for you. And that's great and that's true. But actually, God declares this over us. God is saying, I know the plans I have for you. I know the purposes I have for your life. And that promotes a response or should promote a response. It's almost like the end of a soap opera. You know, we all know the EastEnders theme tune and something dramatic happens at the end. And then the credits roll and the music plays and you need to know what's going to happen next. And it's almost like we trotted out this scripture that we've got these plans. Well, that's great, but that's not the full stop. We then need to get into his presence and say, so what is it? What is it that you actually want me to do? And I think in this season, it's a great place for us to just sit and think about that and to contemplate that. What an opportunity. What an opportunity we have. It's just like when Jesus was calling his disciple, um, the, some of the disciples, not all of them obviously at this point, in Matthew 4 verse 19. And he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What an opportunity that we can have a personal adventure with God. A God who will provide all we need in order to complete the mission. Now, when I think of this, I think of James Bond and Q. Of course, we always see that at the beginning of the Bond films, uh, James goes over, doesn't he, and he goes to Q. He has to find out what gadgets and what cars and what equipment he's going to need to go on his mission. Um, and we need to remember that God will always be with us. He will never leave us on our mission, and he'll provide all that we need. So how can we fail? How can we fail? What is... What, what are our hang-ups? Do you want an extraordinary adventure with God? Because it's not an ordinary journey. No one else is going to walk the path that you walk. So it's an extraordinary adventure. Here's another verse that's quoted so often, and it's completely true. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus tells us, um, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's absolutely true. God is consistent, but he's not boring. He's consistently using the aspects of our changing world to reach new generations. God is the one who inspires us to grow and create and innovate. 
God knows how to, and this blows my mind, okay, God knows how to use the technology that we're going to create in 50 years' time, and he doesn't need the manual. <laughs> God doesn't take action in the same way. So even though he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he has to work in new ways. And of course, God is um, the, the master at doing that. He made the world. He's awesome. So we need to remember that this is a declaration. But how do we find out what God wants us to do personally, corporately, locally, nationally, and internationally? What is our mandate as Christians generally? And more important, what is his plan for me and each one of us? What is my kingdom purpose? Well, as a daughter of the king, a child of God, wherever I am and whatever I do, if I'm acting according to his will, I'm executing the will of the Father. I'm practically outworking the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have power to bring heaven to earth. How can I have the reassurance to know what God is calling me to? Will I be courageous enough to live it out? Will I be singing when the evening comes? And as my dad always used to say, when the rubber hits the road, are you going to be doing what God calls you to do? Will I be a Job or a Jonah? Or will my response be a bit like Moses? So let's just take a look for a minute at what happened when God called Moses, shall we? And if you want to, if you've got your Bibles with you, we can turn to Exodus 3. We're going to be looking initially at verses 1 to 10. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the, to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God says. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of, Israel, of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people to the Israelites, Bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses receives this amazing mission. And then Moses protests. And it goes on to say, but Moses said to God, and I think we've got a slide here with, with his complaints. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says, I'll be with you. Then Moses says to God, 
Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. And Moses carries on. He says, um, Moses answered, uh, sorry, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. And as we read on, he gives Moses another two signs, doesn't he? He puts his hand into his cloak, and then he takes it out again. And when he does that, it's full of leprosy. And when he does it again, he's healed. He takes water from the Nile and pours it onto the ground, and it turns into blood. And he tells Moses to use these signs to show people that he's been sent from him. So Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And of course, I, could, I can imagine that the Lord's starting to get a little bit, you know, I'm with you. I'm going to give these signs to you. You're going to show these to the people. They're going to be reassured that it's me that's speaking to them. But Moses is still struggling and he's still complaining. And the Lord says to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Now, if at this point, Moses isn't getting a bit sweaty from the fire that he's stood next to, he's probably getting pretty sweaty at the fact that God is not going to back down on this. He's got a job to do, and he's going to make sure that Moses is used as he wants him to. But Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help you both. In other words, he was saying, You can take your mates along with you. It'll all be fine. God didn't disqualify Moses. Moses disqualified himself. God had to renew the mind of Moses. And spot on what you said earlier on, John, you know, we can really disqualify ourselves. We can think that we're, we've got nothing. And yet God says exactly the same to us as he said to Moses. I will be with you. I am who I am. He will give us signs by the power of his spirit to show people that we're sent from him. But he sends us and he uses what's in our hands. Now, so let's not stand judgment over Moses. How many times have we done the same? We have our own self-talk, don't we? So when we feel prompted to do something or to say something or go and visit someone or whatever that might look like, quite often our self-talk is, is telling us, well, did God really say that? Which is actually what happened in the Garden of Eden right at the beginning. That's what the devil said to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Did he really say that? And sometimes we need to stand on what God's told us to do but we can disqualify ourselves we can say well what about my past 
I'm not good at sharing my faith. I stumble over my words. Why should anyone listen to me? I don't want to be rejected for what I say because this is just the start of helping somebody on their journey to know Jesus. Maybe you say, I'm not educated. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't, I, all these excuses. It might be that you say, I'm, I'm just a woman. What a challenge. But you see, God is a wonderful God who will come alongside us, just as quite often many of us do when we come alongside our children, who come to us with this overwhelming problem. You know, it might be some maths homework or something, or they've had a massive meltdown. And actually, what Jesus is doing, we, we can see into that situation and know that actually it's not a big deal, that we can help them. We, we know how to, to be with them and talk them through it. And what he does is just like a parent. He looks us in the eye and he says, do you know, I'm with you. I'm going to give you everything you need. This is what I'm calling you to do. God's a good father. And it says in Matthew 7, 11, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? So maybe at this stage, as we're coming out of the COVID season, as we're coming into spring, we need to renew our own minds and we need to focus again. Moses had five complaints, but God had five comforts, didn't he? Now, if we just go back to um, the other slide, if we, that's the one. I'm just going to run through some of these. We've looked at renew, but I want to spend a bit of time looking at realigning our vision, reuniting to each other, and then later look at re-encountering God, refiring and rededicating what we have to the Lord. But first of all, we need to realign our vision. When we're thinking about our personal vision, it will always dovetail into the mission of the church. And it's important to remember that the word equip in Ephesians 4, as Steve's mentioned when he's spoken in the past, that word is a word that is describing the resetting of a broken bone. It's used to instruct leaders to align the body of Christ to complete its mission. And of course, we know that what the church is called to do is the Great Commission. That's our blueprint that we should never move away from. In Matthew 28, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. An important phrase in that, that we'll come back to in a bit. Obey everything I have commanded you to do. Again, this is a very similar, familiar scripture to us, but it's still the mission of the church. At Family Church, our tagline is one church family in many locations. You see, healthy families grow, and we're growing. We've been able to plant into Scalmersdale. We've adopted West Horton. Even within the pandemic, we were repurposing that church. And we've now got, obviously, Jonathan and Kath over there this morning leading a service there. We're growing as a family. In lockdown, we were looking at the connect groups that weren't perhaps quite where we wanted them to be. And obviously, we've relaunched the discipleship community groups so that people can meet together in smaller groups and fellowship together and have that body ministry, whereas that's more difficult as our church services grow in terms of number. We've run two Alpha courses online 
Um, they've been absolutely brilliant. We didn't think necessarily that Alpha would work online, and we've just seen some amazing testimonies. Go and have a chat with John and Sue, and Jonathan and Kath, and those that are involved in the team. Uh, Sue Bridgman as well. There's Mandy. You know, there's there's a core of people here that have been involved in that. They've seen some amazing things. We've seen people's um, lives changed. We've seen people saved. You see, God is a good Father. But one of the things that we need to make sure that we do also is to realign and unite to each other. Because that's when a synergy comes. Synergy means the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of the separate parts. The Bible calls this unity. Wonderful unity like the body pictured in Ephesians 4, there is no other form of church. The church was created to be united. And as we come out of this winter season, we need to be united again together. It was so important, and I know that I've said this before, it was so important that it was the prayer that's recorded as Jesus' last prayer in Scripture. If it's important to Jesus, it should be important to us. And as Steve was mentioning earlier on, if we're not right with somebody, then we need to take the time out to go and make sure that we are. So this was his prayer in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. In other words, the current disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me and, and have loved them even as you have loved me. And this is why quite often when, um, and we've seen some change within the, the COVID time, you know, that, that we were in lockdown. This is why when we say, if people are leaving a church, they need to leave through the front door and not the back door. And this actually applies to any ministry position that you're in and any organisation that, that you're involved in. You should always leave through the front door. And what we mean by that is that you're being called out and into something else, that God has a purpose, that you're to be then realigned with another perhaps local church or ministry or whatever that might be. That's so important because if you leave through the back door, through the grumbling or complaining, or then misunderstandings come in. And that's when disunity happens. And that's not what Jesus wants. So it's so important. And of course, we see in 1 Corinthians 12, as again, we've already heard this morning about the parts of the body. In fact, it was really funny this morning because Ella came in. I told her to go and get dressed. And she came in. I don't know why she did this, but it just reminded me of this passage. And she came in and she got a top on. And she said, Mommy, I'm dressed. And what she'd done was she'd kept one of her arms out of her sleeve. And you, couldn't, you could obviously see one arm. And I'm like, Ella, you've left your other arm in your bedroom. You better go and get it. You've not got dressed properly. So we're having this. She completely gets what's going on. You know, She's set this prank up. And um, I said, you need to go and get your other arm. So she goes off and she comes back in and she's, she's got one, the other arm in and the other one out. 
So I said, that's great. If you just swapped your arm over, do you need to go and still go and get your other one? So we had this funny dialogue, but it reminded me of this. And then she came back and she'd stuffed a teddy up the arm of her sleeve. And she said, well, it's okay, because although I haven't got my hand, there's two hands on my teddy, you know. But it just made me laugh and it made me think, you know, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, it's just the opposite. The parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are the ones that we can't do without. And that's just so important, isn't it? Because if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part shares in that joy. You are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And each one of us needs to play our part. One of the church values is honour. And if you've been looking at our online services, and this morning, just a little plug, um, Marion and Steve, mum and son, have, been, have done their online uh, presentation this morning. So that was pre-recorded in the week. So do go back and have a look at it because um, it's a great recording. I'm sure it will bless you. But one of our church values we've been looking at recently in our DC groups um, and we've put online is honour. And this is Bill Johnson's definition of honour. A culture of honour is celebrating who a person is without stumbling over who they're not. How many times are we critical and look at what someone isn't instead of what celebrating who they are and the gifts that's, that God has given them? And that can lead to discouragement and that can lead to somebody actually not rising up and doing what they should do. And it's so important that we celebrate people's giftings. How often do we box ourselves off ourselves, just like Moses did, and say, well, I can't do that, or I, I shouldn't do that. I mean, the amount of times I've had to just step out, particularly in the COVID season, you know, as a leadership, we were like, oh my goodness, how, how do we serve the church? And, you know, you think of all these different innovative ways, and then you think, well, we've actually got to do this now. You know, the worship team not being able to be together, united in one place, but all over the place, trying to do their bits and bring it together. Just the things we had to do. But we can box ourselves off, can't we? And it's so important that we encourage people to be released, that we don't stifle God's plans and purposes for someone's life. Well, sometimes there's maybe a jealousy. I should be doing that. And this is where we, look, we can see in Scripture the older brother who looks at the younger brother as he's coming back, the prodigal son the orphan-hearted nature of the older brother, watching on, seeing the father embrace the younger son, but has a heart of jealousy instead. Instead of saying, do you know, my brother is safe, he's well, he's back in the arms of his dad, and he's got a purpose, there was a jealousy. Reinhard Bonnke says, there are no competitors in the kingdom of God, only colleagues. And when we're, when we're really united, we can move together and do so much together. He also is quoted as saying, and of course we could see the older brother resenting the younger brother in this situation. This quote that Reinhard uh, gives is, is really interesting. It says, it is said that resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. There is no room for such a waste of energy in the service of God. We have a job to do, don't we? And I believe that this is a time for people to be released, for people to rise up, into what God has called them to be. We have a limitless God who will teach us and guide us just like he did with Moses. The other thing is that the best way to honour past accomplishments is building on the top of breakthrough. Another quote from Bill Johnson. There, is there can be unity through the generations. All those 
all those great heroes that have gone before. There's a passing on of the baton from generation to generation as new generations rise up. They're taught by the older generation how to hear God's voice, how to obey his word, and then they apply it to the new generation. With the older generation championing the new generation, setting the example of godliness and righteousness and calling out the gold in them, each one of us has a mandate to help the next generation. And Christine Christine Kane puts it like this. When we're in the flow and the slipstream of the Holy Spirit, who are we going to bring along with us? I'm 46 in a few few weeks' time. I don't consider myself particularly to be young, but there are so many younger than me that I know I need to make sure I'm encouraging and bringing alongside so so that they can practice and learn their giftings in a safe place so that they can really flourish as they get older. We are to reunite and play our part. What I want to do is just spend five or six minutes just looking at perhaps where you may be personally. So if we go to the slide, there's some listed here. So reborn, repurposed, refocused, re-envisaged, and released. And I believe that perhaps there'll be people here today that can identify with one of those things. And I don't, again, want to box anyone in. There might be something that God's laying on your own heart in terms of where you feel you're up to. But I'm just going to give you some examples that can be common things. The first one, though, is Steve mentioned before about being reconciled to God. And that's really, really important. You see, when we think about our plan and our purpose for our lives, when God made the world, he made Adam and Eve and he walked with them. That was the plan. Adam and Eve sinned, so therefore there was disunity because God can't be where there is sin. Where where people aren't obeying him, he can't be there. He can't dwell with them. So, of course, as a result, we know that there was this separation. And that means that every single one of us have to come back and say, I'm sorry for the things I did. Because let's face it, if we were Adam and Eve, it's easy to blame them, but we make mistakes every day, don't we? And so we need to come back to God and we just need to reconcile with him. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to the Lord this morning. Maybe you've never given your life to the Lord, but there's an adventure that he wants to take you on, and it's a perfect plan for your life because he is the perfect father. I just want to take one minute, because I don't want to miss the opportunity, for everybody to just close their eyes, and I'm going to pray a prayer. And I don't necessarily need everyone to pray this out loud, but I just want to give people the opportunity that if you've never prayed this prayer before, and you want to, then you can do this right now, which is realigning your life into God's purposes and plans for you. It may be that you just need to, as you come out of the COVID season, all the chaos of everything that we've been going through and some of the turmoil of what we're still going through, you recognize that actually God isn't having the place in your life that you need him to be in. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I have done wrong. I recognize that my sin separates me from you and that you died on the cross for me and rose again so that I can live with you. Please come into my life today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I'm empowered to live a life for you. Help me begin an extraordinary journey with you today. Thank you that you have a plan and purpose for my life. Reveal it to me today so that I may live each day for you. Amen. If you've prayed that this morning would you just tell somebody that you've come with or somebody that's sitting next to you or come and speak to me 
because I'd like to just encourage you in that. There may be some people that need to repurpose in this season. Now, apparently it's reported that Noah was a farmer before he was a zoologist. It would appear from what we can see in scripture that Noah had to repurpose. And can I just remind you at this point that Noah was not young. Noah was 600 years when his life was repurposed. So none of us are too old to be repurposed in the things of God. Uh, yeah, Noah did, the other thing that I thought was really interesting, when, when Noah was called, his response was very, very different to Moses. Very different. There's this repeating phrase as God calls Noah to do what he needs to do, what his, what, called to his mission. And there's this repeating phrase, as I mentioned earlier, when Jesus commissions us as his disciples. It says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. There was never any complaining. There was never any, you know, we should always take our complaints to God. And by the way, that's the best place to take our complaints, firstly, to God. Before we take it to anyone else, you take them to God. Because that's when we see his heart, his, his eyes in the situation. Um, but, yeah, there was, there was none of that. It was like, there's just this repeating phrase. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Wow. What an example. You see, God trusted Noah. And I believe that that's because of his years, because of his age, because of perhaps what he'd seen. Noah was found to be righteous and blameless. And he was positioned just at the right time for God to say, you're the righteous man to take this mission on. So there are times that we need to repurpose. And this can be a really confusing time because it's a time of change. Now, anybody that's done any management training will probably have been on a course about change management. And you see this change curve, you know, and everybody, nobody's with you. And then all of a sudden, you've got to kick them back up this other side to say, no, it's all going to be OK. Let's go with it. It's all going to be fine. But it's uncomfortable. We're estranged from the familiar. And I, th I do think it's the wisdom of Noah's years that led God to choose him and trust him to bring about his purposes. And it might be that you're at that time in your life. It might be that things have happened through the pandemic that have changed your circumstances. Some of these may have been outside of your control, but it may be that you just need to repurpose. Steve was talking last week about heaven, and this almost slots in perfectly because before we get there, we've a job to do, haven't we? We've a purpose. And so this is the bridge. Before we get there, what is our purpose and what are we called to do? In Jeremiah 18, verses 1 to 5, it says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house. And I saw him working on the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. It may be a new season for you. It may seem really scary. It may be that you've got to let some of the past go. It may have been a really good season, and you don't understand. You don't understand what God is saying but the benefit of hindsight so often gives us the reasons and gives us the answers, doesn't it? And sometimes we'll never know what we go through or why we're being repurposed for something else. But the important thing is that we stick with him and we keep encountering him. 
Another quote from Reinhard Bonnke, he's got some great, great phrases, doesn't he? Great sayings. When you pull up roots in order to fulfill a divine destiny, there's not a sense of pain or loss. Rather, there is a great expectation for things to come. It may be that you just need to refocus. You might be here today thinking, I haven't got anything. I really haven't got anything to give. I, what I have isn't adequate. And of course, we need to remember, don't we, that little boy with his packed lunch. What he had was completely inadequate to serve the crowd. It was never going to happen. But when we put the little that we have into the hands of Jesus, it's multiplied. And we see this as a repeating theme. So if you're at the place where you think, I actually don't know where I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing, well, just look down and look in your hands and see what there is there. David, King David, when he was a shepherd boy, he looked into his hands, didn't he? And what did he see? He saw a sling and a stone, and he slayed the Philistine. Moses had a staff in his hand. This was the staff that was raised to make way for the Israelites to flee slavery through the Red Sea. It might be that you have a gift of hospitality. It could be that you want to teach others the word of God. It could be that you've got a mobile phone in your hand and you're able to call somebody and encourage them. That's doing the will of God. This week I had the privilege of phoning up Pam Mann. She was on my... Um, my list of people that God put on my heart. And I, I just phoned her up and I had about 40, 45 minutes speaking to her on the phone. She was telling me that she'd had a fall in the week and I prayed for her. Um, she'd had a fall. She'd had to obviously get assistance, but she's not as mobile as she used to be. And yet most of the time she was talking to me, she was telling me about how her husband had these tracks. And she said, they're fading a bit now, Rachel. They look a bit battered because they've been in a drawer or they've obviously been in a pile on the side. She said, but you know, I still have conversations with people and I still give them out and I'm still telling people about Jesus. So I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to order some more for you because I'm sure there's other people that you're going to be able to speak to. So she's going to have a, the next batch of why Jesus being dropped off with a bunch of flowers and a cake or whatever it is because she is still looking to the future. She's still looking to those that even, even at her stage where she's so restricted, she can reach out to others. God multiplies what we have in our hand. And if you haven't got anything in your hand, that's when you praise him. That's when you praise him. And when we get into his presence, we can see his purposes revealed. Re-envision. We're nearly there, guys. Re-envision. Let's think about Joseph. Maybe you need to remember that which God has already spoken over your life, maybe years ago. And you need to look again at that and believe with fresh, faith-filled eyes. Maybe this is the season where you need to look again at perhaps your dreams, there's no problem in dreaming big. And do you remember Joseph with his dreams of grandeur, position, and responsibility? He once dreamt that there were 11 bundles of grain, which represented his brothers, of course, bowing down to him. And he quite you know, openly told his brothers about this. And then he had another dream uh, that he recounted, that the sun, which was his father, and the moon, his mother, and the 11 stars, no guesses uh, who, who they were, all bowed down to him. He had this beautiful coat. He had preferential treatment and dreams of greatness. But that all had to be put to one side for a season before they came to pass, as we know the story. It's good to dream, because when people stop dreaming, they get old. Caleb said to God, 
give me my mountain. He wanted to fight against the Amalekites. And when we get older, we talk more about our past than we do our future, don't we? And sometimes it doesn't matter about chronological age. We can age before we age, if you know what I mean. But it says in Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Pursue your dreams. And maybe there's some people that just need to be released Maybe there's some people that have behind the scenes been writing the messages that perhaps are the encouragement to give other people at some point, or you're now positioned in a place where actually you've got that extra room in your house, so when they're appealing for space for those from the Ukraine, you've got that space, and you just need to be released now into what God is calling you to do. Whatever we identify within this list, we need to do three things as we come out of this pandemic. We need to keep encountering the living God. We need to be refired by the Holy Spirit. And we, re- we need to rededicate what we have. If God gives us a word, he will, as, we, as a lot of us know, he will make that come about. We don't need to push for that. We just need to keep daily going to him and saying, this is what I've got, Lord. I give it back to you. When the Israelites were in the desert, they'd have this massive... Um, mission, hadn't they? They'd had this massive journey out of slavery, and yet they started to grumble. And it's very easy to have idle hands. Idle hands make idols, don't they? And we saw that with the Israelites when they were in the desert. God was teaching the Israelites to daily depend on him, because that's how God sustains us. And if we hold on to the manna, the food that they were given from the previous day, when we look at that that story and that account, If they held on to the manna from the previous day because they needed it, they thought they needed that for the the day that was was ahead of them, it was full of maggots and it was going mouldy. So we need to make sure that we keep coming into the presence of God daily to encounter him. Obviously, we need to refire. We know, and I've said this before, that the first day that I came to work officially on staff alongside Steve, he sat me in his office and he said to me, Rachel, don't ever do a day where you approach the day thinking you can do it by the strength of your own arm. And I keep failing at that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I keep coming back to that and saying, Lord, only you, what you want us to do. Let me walk in your will. In this new season, we are to renew our minds, realign our mission, and reunite ourselves to each other. We can be reborn, repurposed, re-envisioned, refocused and released into all God has for us. And as we encounter God, rededicate our lives and dreams and refire, we're to rise up, take what's in our hands and humbly serve our living God, laying down our agendas, getting our hearts right with him and in line with him. We guard our attitude and motivation, ensuring that we act out of our received God-given love and go into this world and make disciples. When we go back to that scripture that I started off with, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, 
plans to give you a hope and a future, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. How amazing is that? That God, the God of this, cre this created world would listen to me. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And quite often, if it's not God speaking through the things that he's put in your hands, like he did with Becky Murray, the 50p, that enabled her to have that opportunity to walk into her ministry, it's when we encounter the sweet presence of Jesus. And he says to us, this is what I need you to do. This is what I'm calling you to do. And in the meantime, just wait for those doors of opportunity to open. Lift your head, open your spiritual eyes, and see what's ahead of you. And walk through those doors when God opens those for you. I believe we're in great times. I believe we are literally on the edge of so much that God wants to do. You only have to look at the news to see that there's so much turmoil going on and we need our God. And it's time for us as a generation to rise up and walk into the things God has called us to do, remembering exactly what Noah did. He did everything and obeyed God's commands just as he said. Because God declared that over us, in the week, I contacted Sam and I, I asked him if we could sing the song, which we've already done. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. I will love you, Lord, with my strength, with my shield, as my rock. But forever all my days... I will love you, God. Can we just sing that again, Sam? Just take a few moments before we finish to, to just bring your heart before God, to just realign, think about those things that maybe you need to bring to him. Maybe there's a few things that you need to put down before you can start picking things up. But just let him speak to you, because it's only his ministry into our hearts that will give us that reassurance of what we need to step into ourselves. Let me just pray as we finish and we'll hand over thanks. Father, thank you this morning that we have a challenge set before us to reach out to a broken world. Thank you that we carry your hope. Thank you above anything else that you've given us your spirit because we cannot do it ourselves. Father, may our ear always be turned to you. May we always hear what you're saying to us. And may we have the courage to walk in it. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. As we close this service, let me reiterate that your life matters. I saw in my mind's eye as we were singing there and we think about vision with Rachel. And the individual specific vision God has for your life. I saw in my mind's eye, uh, is it a scallop that has a pearl in what? Oyster. <laughs> Is that the same thing, Charlotte? Can we get in there? You know, pearls are created, I believe, when grit gets in and then the, the oyster wraps up beautiful substance around the grit. And I believe that there are people in this room today that in this last few years, grit has got in. But I want to speak to you about the hope of what I see coming in the future. The fact that our God reigns and he is who he is, he can turn the most terrible situation around for his glory. He can make all things work together for the good of those who love him. 
And I believe God is putting some pearls into some people right now and ongoingly. And I, I think some of you are unaware of what God's doing with your heart, the heart surgery that God is doing to you in this season. I believe the Lord is recreating his church. And he's made you for a purpose, as Rachel was saying. God has built you for a purpose. Nothing that you've been through took him by surprise. And nothing has outfoxed him so he can't make it work together for your good. And I believe you're going to turn a corner. There are people who don't feel like there's a corner at the moment to turn. But you're going to turn a corner. You're going to come out into the sunshine. And God is going to be glorified through the way the landscape of your life changes. But never forget that your life is a life of purpose, as Rachel said. Your life has hope. Your life has meaning. Your life was designed by God and for God. And the Bible says all your days were written in his book before one of them came to be. The Bible says that God prepared works beforehand, that you should walk in them. But there has to be a cooperation with God in that. The one thing you need to dispense of in this season is self-rejection. Or the rejection of others in this church. How can God use them? Or don't they know what they've done? How, how anti-kingdom is that? How pharisaical is that? Let me say this, that God has no perfect people. The only people he uses are imperfect people. There isn't anyone else for him to use. You, me, those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are the ones who God will use. It's a wonderfully comforting fact to know the Lord uses imperfect people, right? It means that all of us have a place in the body of Christ and all of us have a purpose under God. So it's time to rise up different. It's time to change our perspective, our re-envisioning of our life, as Rachel said, and come into line with God, get in alignment with God and the way God thinks about you, the way God thinks about others, the way we should think about him and his purposes. And it's like Steve Hill said in the Brownsville Revival, he used to preach with fire, this man in the 1990s. He said, if you've got breath in your lungs, do something for God. And I really believe there are people on the shelf at the moment who feel like their life is worthless and purposeless. God says to you, that's a lie of the devil. And it's time to stand up and say, what's that in your hand? As Moses said, what can you do? What can you contribute? When Becky Murray came here, she could only buy a pair of flip-flops for that kid who tried to give a body away for 50p. Do you remember that story? It was a, it's horrific. It's on the podcast if you want to hear it. She just gave a pair of flip-flops to a kid. That was the beginning of a massive journey that started a global ministry. So, so stop limiting yourself and believing that you're meant for the shelf when God has a purpose over your life and has put passions and dreams in your heart to build you for something better. God is going to really use you if you find that sweet spot of the enjoyment of him alone. The enjoyment of God births all things that are purposeful for the kingdom. That's it. Just enjoy God and you'll start living right. You'll start loving right. You'll start walking right. You'll start believing right. You'll see the world through his eyes. All the rewords are about coming into alignment with God who made and makes all things new.